We meet today in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 to verse 23. We're looking at God the Holy Spirit protecting the church. When we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, we see that He regenerates us, He is a refuge for us, He gives reality to our lives. We come first to the aspect of regeneration. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1 verse 13. This section, I believe, is one of the most wonderful ones in Scripture. The work of God in planning the church and the work of the Lord Jesus in redeeming the church and paying for it were objective. The work of the Holy Spirit in protecting the church is different because it is subjective. It is in us. In this work of regeneration and renewing, the Holy Spirit causes the sinner to hear and believe in his heart, and that makes him a child of God. The Lord Jesus said, you must be born again. John 3 verse 7. How are we to be born again? John explains, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believed on his name. John 1 verse 12. Now, we need simply to believe on his name. And we are told, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Hearing means to hear not just the sound of the words, but to hear with understanding. Paul wrote, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. Who are the called? Are they the ones that just heard the sounds of the words? No, no. It means those who heard with understanding. God called them. It was not just a core of hearing words, but a core where the Holy Spirit made those words real. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, according to Romans 10 verse 17. Those who are called hear the word of God, and they respond to it. Believing is the logical step after hearing. It may not be the next chronological step, but it is the logical step. You hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your deliverance, and you put your trust in Christ. In whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, I would like to remove the word after from this verse, because these are not time clauses, by the way. They are what is known in the Greek as genitive absolutes, and they are all the same tense as the main verb. It means that when you heard and you believed, you were also sealed. It all took place at the same time. This is, by the way, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs. You are baptized the moment you trust Christ. You are also sealed the moment you trust Christ. The Holy Spirit first opens the ear to hear, and then he implants faith. 
His next logical step, you see, is to seal the believer. I understand this verse to mean that the Holy Spirit is the seal. God the Father gave the Son to die on the cross, but the Son offered up himself willingly. So both the Father and the Son gave. God the Father and God the Son both sent the Holy Spirit to perform a definite work, but it is the Spirit who does the work. He regenerates the sinner, and he seals the sinner at the same time. And I think that the Spirit himself is that seal. Now there is a twofold purpose in the sealing work of the Spirit. He implants the image of God upon the heart to give reality to the believer. You know that a seal is put down on a document, and that seal has an image on it. I think that's exactly what the Spirit of God does to a believer. So we read that verse saying, He who has received his testimony has sent to his seal that God is true. John 3 verse 33. Apparently this is the thought here. God has put his implant upon the believer. The second purpose of the sealing is to denote rightful ownership. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. You see here, the fact that he makes you secure does not mean that you can live in sin. If you name the name of Christ, you are going to depart from iniquity. If there is not this evidence, then you are not a regenerated believer. You are not sealed. The Holy Spirit is the seal, and that guarantees that God is going to deliver us. We are sealed until the day of redemption. The day will come when the Holy Spirit will deliver us to Christ. It's nice to be sealed like that. We are just like a letter that is insured. You see, in the old days, they could put a seal on it. Today, they just stamp it with a special stamp. But it still means that the post office guarantees to deliver that special letter, almost like a registered letter. Now we come to the third and final work of the Spirit in protecting the church. Ephesians 1 verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Now, guarantee or earnest money is the money that is put forth as a down payment and pledge on a piece of property. It means you want them to hold the property for you. It also means that you promise there is more money to follow. The Spirit of God is our earnest money. He has given us a pledge and a token that there is more to follow in the way of spiritual blessing. We have already seen that we have an inheritance. There is more to follow. The Holy Spirit is that honesty, is that guarantee. All of this is to the praise of his glory. This is now the third doxology in this chapter. As we have seen, Paul gives a doxology after he considers the work of each member of the Trinity. Here it is to the praise of the glory of God that the Holy Spirit regenerates us, 
becomes our refuge and seal and gives us reality. All these glorious truths. Now move Paul to prayer. And I'll talk about that prayer. Prayer of Paul for the knowledge and the power for the Ephesians. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians 1 verse 15 and 16. You see, the Ephesian church was noted for its faith and love. Love wasn't just a motto, not just a bumper sticker for these people. There was real love expressed by the saints. It was based on their faith in the Lord Jesus. This was the church at its highest. In the book of Revelation, the Ephesian church represents the early church at its very best. Because of their faith and love, Paul thanks God for them. He says, when he heard the good news and the wonderful reports about this church, he says, I did not cease to give thanks for you. Now, it's interesting that we don't too often think of Paul as an outstanding man of prayer. We would put him at the top of the list as a great missionary of the cross. We can't think of any great example of apostleship than Paul. If you were to make a list of 10 of the greatest preachers of the church, you would certainly put Paul as number one. He was also one of the greatest teachers. The Lord Jesus, of course, was the greatest of all. No man spoke like him, John 7, verse 46. And Paul certainly followed in that tradition. However, Paul was also a good example of a pastor. According to Dr. Luke, Paul wept with the believers at Ephesus. At Ephesus, when he took leave of them, he loved them and they loved him. The Ephesians not only loved Paul, but they loved the word of God. When you think of anyone excelling in any field of service in the early church, Paul the Apostle must be up towards the top. How about being representative of a great man of prayer? Would you put Paul in that list? Generally, we think of Moses as the great intercessor on the top of the mountain. We think of David with his psalms and his confessions of his awful sin. We think of Elijah who stood alone before an altar drenched with water at Mount Carmel. Then there was Daniel who opened his window toward Jerusalem and prayed, even though he lived in a hostile land under a hostile power. The Lord Jesus was the man of prayer, so that one of his disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11 verse 1. Did you know that Paul was also a great man of prayer? Now, there are two of the prayers of Paul in this epistle. We are looking at the first one. Having set before us the children of Israel as the body of Christ, Paul falls to his knees and he begins to pray. The other prayer is at the end of the chapter. These two prayers in this epistle indicate Paul's concern as a child of God for the believers. One of the ways one can judge whether or not a person is a child of God is by his prayer life. How much does he feel a dependence on God? If he has a need, he will go to God in prayer for himself. He will also go to God in intercession for others. Paul says, 
I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul first of all gives thanks to God for the Ephesians. They were on his prayer list, and I guess all the churches were, making mention of you in my prayers. That means he called them all by name. We have seen that the motive for Paul's prayer was good news. Now we will see that he does not pray for material things, but for spiritual blessings. These are the blessings that are all important. Ephesians 1 verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul having written that the church is the body of Christ and that God the Father planned it, God the Son paid for it, and God the Holy Spirit protects it, he recognized that the Ephesians wouldn't be able to understand all this unless the Spirit of God was their teacher and opened the Word of God to them. Only the Holy Spirit of God would reveal the knowledge of God. What a wonderful, glorious thing it is to have the Spirit of God be the one to teach us. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You see, how will that take place? It will take place by the Spirit of God, the only one who can open our eyes, teaching us the word of God. Ephesians 1 verse 18 The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It is not the eyes of your mind, but the eyes of your heart that must understand. One can be a very brilliant person intellectually, but that is no guarantee that there will be an understanding of spiritual truth. Scripture puts more emphasis on the understanding of the heart than of the head. Paul writes in Romans 10 verse 9 to 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My friend, as far as the spiritual knowledge is concerned, no person can understand it apart from the Spirit of God. This is what we are told in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 to verse 10. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You see? It is not the eye get, the ear get, or even cogitation, but the Spirit's teaching. The Spirit of God wants to teach us today. And one of the reasons that God's people are not in God's word is because they are not willing for the Spirit of God to teach them. They depend on a poor preacher like me or on a home Bible study. Yes, these all have their place, but my friend, why don't you let the Spirit of God teach you? Spend time in Scripture. When you come to a particular passage of Scripture, you may think it to be 
a barren place because it's hard. You don't understand it and you read it many times and you don't seem to get much out of it. Then get down on your knees before the Lord and say to the Lord, I missed the point and you will have to teach me. That is what I do. He teaches me and I know he will teach you, my friend. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see here we have learned that we have an inheritance in the Lord. We are also to know that he has an inheritance in us. And I think an illustration of this could be the land of Canaan. The land belonged to God, but he gave it to the children of Israel as their possession. The children of Israel are tied into that land. Yet the day will come when God will take possession of this entire universe and will reclaim Israel as well as the land of his own. Today you and I as believers are his church and God operates through us. But the time is coming when we shall rule and reign with him. He will claim us as his inheritance. Paul continues with his petition. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Ephesians 1 verse 19. Let me amplify this. What is the exceeding, meaning intense greatness of his power, dunamis, dynamite power, toward us who believe according to the working and it is the energizing power of the strength of his might. Now, how great is that dynamic power, that energizing strength? Listen to verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. You see, it is power enough to raise Christ from the dead, a tremendous power. Not only is it resurrection power, but it is also the power that set Christ at God's right hand. And that is ascension power. Have you ever stopped to think of the power that took him back to the right hand of God? That, my friend, is power. I mean, we're beginning to see a little of it when we think of the power it takes to lift a missile off its base and take it out into space. And the power it took to take men to the moon and bring them back, that is power in the physical realm. Now, the power that took Christ to the right hand of God is the same power that is available to believers today. That is amazing. That's why Paul prays that believers may know the greatness of that power. He writes, to the Philippians, in Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here is Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 to verse 23. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is amazing, my friend. We see here Paul concluding on a tremendously high note. The church is the body of Christ 
and Christ is the head of the church. Someday, everything is going to be under him. At the present time, the only thing that is under him is his church. The thing we need to see is that Christ is the head of the body, his church, and we are under him. How glorious, how marvelous the thought, how comforting it is under him. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code two seven followed by 7264144475 from within south africa it's 0726414475